0: Welcome to the Blue Collar Gold Podcast, the podcast that shows you how to build a world-class service business from the dirt up. And now, your host, Mark Stoner. Hello, and thank you for joining me back again this week for the Blue Collar Gold Podcast. It's a true podcast this time. It's not recording from the other live show. And uh, thank you for being with me this week. I just returned from the international chimney Sweep festival in italy uh sounds like it's a false thing but it's a real thing and it's just a magic event this year was the 40th anniversary it was bigger than ever and we had an amazing time got to take my wife my daughter and one of her friends didn't get to take my son this year he was busy which i always enjoy traveling with the family but we had a great time and um Funny thing, uh, one of my podcast listeners, Emily from Wales, found me in the crowd and came up to me and said hi to me and introduced herself. And it was, to me, it was a magical moment. It was so great. And um, she had written in a letter that I read on the show. It was episode 82 and how the podcast and some of the things had helped and then she also knew about our chocolate company and she met Evan who, Peep and it was a really fun moment. And then we ran into her again at the end of the parade. I asked her to be on the podcast. Emily, if you're listening to this, I still think your story would be really good from, uh, from many aspects from being in another country, being a female chimney sweep, being a female business owner. And she was nervous to do it, but I hope she will take me up on it because I think people would like to hear. You know, what other people are going through, what they're trying to do, and especially, you know, being a woman in a very male-dominated field, uh, I would love to hear from her because we need more women in this field if they so desire. So it was a great it was a great event, and I recommend anybody in the chimney business figure out how to get over there and see that at least once in your lifetime. Italy is magical. I love Italy, and there's so much to see and do over there, so I highly recommend it. On another note, I'm back for a few days, and then we go to Austria for the... European Chimney Sweep Federation. Some people that are in this uh, delegation stayed over there. Chuck Hall mainly stayed over there after Spatscomini and he's just gonna but I was away so long 'cause we did a we did a trip before to the F one race, so it's been really fun living the dream, living great life events. Uh, I did go to the F1 race in the Netherlands and man, those Dutch people are crazy and, and a lot of fun and nice. But coming up in, um, I'm not sure how many more years I'll be asked to do it, but um, I'm one of the US delegates to the Chimney uh, Federation for the US over in Europe. So we go represent the US and talk and sometimes we teach and we learn and we, um, you know, show our best stuff. They show their best stuff or just talk business. We're really guests of their association, but it's fascinating. Have a lot of lifelong friends over there and I look forward to seeing them shortly. So with that being said, um, I wanted to talk today about, seven uncomfortable truths and i was reading an article about it i think i was even watching tiktok about it about some of these things and putting them together in something that i think is accurate because You know, I'm about 50, 56 years old and, you know, things are health is still good. You know, life is really working out and, um, you know, got a lot of a lot of the things that, you know, I did in my younger days and put in place are starting to work. They are working and they are making me have a different life than, you know, I did not very long ago because all those things that you put in place that, People don't think are going to work. People tell you not to do. You don't even know if they're going to work. They take a long time to work, start to work. And I'm going to talk about that being one of the things that I think people, you know, as a truth, they don't do this one thing that most successful people do. They just don't do it. And therefore they end up having a different life. And I'm not saying it's a bad life. It's just a different life. Um, I've always said what I really want out of life isn't money, it's options. And a lot of times money does buy options, but options to do things you want to do. And even if you're working a job for somebody else, that is, there's options, there's things you can do, and I want to talk about that a little bit, um, to make that work for you and um you know, my wife just has retired a couple of years ago and now we're traveling quite a bit and she worked a job and she did a lot of things that, you know, that are paying off for her now. So this isn't just about running a business. It's about life decisions of what you do with the money. And a lot of times it's a little bit of money. You don't have any money sometimes, but you have to make decisions with it. So Here are the seven uncomfortable truths that I like. So one of them for sure, especially today with, uh, you know, the social media is comparing your life to someone else's is the fastest way to become depressed. And a lot of people will just watch other people live their life out on Facebook and Instagram and all these other things and feel depressed because their life is nothing like that. When I post stuff, I want it to be inspirational for people. I'm really, I, I don't, I'm not trying to brag at all about things because, you know, when, when I watch people doing things, that's how I get inspired to do some of these cool things. I did Deep Dive Dubai and I did, uh, we did a camel thing in Dubai out in the desert and we did, uh, um, Scuba Dive Maldives or Scuba Spa Maldives and, you know these this uh, some of these cool things over in Italy are inspired from watching other people do that, and you just say, "I want to do that. I'm going to do that." You what you don't say is, "It must be nice to do that." If you say that, um, and you don't have some kind of a you know some kind of a handicap or some kind of thing that would stop you from doing some of those things, then then that's. That's a limiting factor that you're putting up in front of yourself that um, that will probably come true. You need to say, I'm going to do that. I'm absolutely going to do that. And what does it take to do that? How do I get to do that? You know, I've started riding motorcycles in Europe and I can tell you, I talked about riding motorcycles in Europe for probably the last 20 years, way before I ever could. Um, I was in my BNI meeting, Business Network International, and they always, when you do a 10 minute presentation, they ask you, you know, what's something people don't know about you or what's one of your burning goals. And I have said it for years. I want to ride a motorcycle all over Europe and, um, and see that. And man, it's finally happening. I rode a motorcycle in, in, uh, Italy in the Dolomites a couple of weeks ago. I got to go Germany, Switzerland, Italy, Austria uh, last year I'm getting ready to ride in Austria again and I just uh it, it's been a goal it's not it's not by accident these things don't just happen they they're absolutely forced so comparing your life to someone else's is the fastest way to become depressed number two you can't make everyone happy and this is a super hard one for people in your life um, you know there's there's many times you know that you you you, can, you know you can't make someone happy. You have to let them go. You have to let them be mad. You have to do what you have to do. Now, I'm not saying be stupid, and I'm not saying if if somebody wise is giving you good advice and you're like, well, I can't make everybody happy. I got to make myself happy. That's that's not what I mean. But, you know, sometimes I remember when I first moved to Nashville, my mom was super against it, you know, in Indiana. She wanted me to stay in indiana because i was taking care of her she wasn't very well but i knew she would be okay and i knew i couldn't stay in indiana and i know my brother at the same time she did not want him to join the military she fought she called the military telling him he had a heart issue which he didn't and you know she would try anything and we, both of us, my brother and I, had to get pretty good at understanding that we we couldn't make everyone happy. Now, in a business sense, I'll tell you the mistake, and a lot of you know it. Is as a business owner, I be, I had the mistake of trying to make everyone happy, and man, you can't do that either. That's that's you you got to do that more so than family. <laughs> you know, you you have to run the business as the business needs to be run, and, and to your best uh, ability. And when you coddle people and try to make them happy, you are going to ruin your business and you will ruin your leadership ability. They have to tuck in behind you. They have to understand there's going to be conflict. That's how you build people is through conflict. You don't build people necessarily as much through cheering them on, although it's part of it. Conflict is where a lot of growth really comes and especially team building growth. So can't make everyone happy is number two. Number three, be okay with people not liking you. Most people don't even like themselves. Oh my gosh. I, I, that last part, most people don't even like themselves. So you worrying about them liking you is so when you put those two things together, it just puts it totally into context. And, um, I know a lot of people are fine with people not liking them or arguing with them on Facebook or, but in your real life, you know, um, and in your leadership of people, uh, you want to be respected first and liked second, not liked first and respected second, especially in business. You know, your friends are different, but hopefully your, your friends respect you and like you. And that's kind of the same thing, but make sure that, um, you know, that you're not going down that trap of, you know, being like, therefore you won't do something or you don't want to make somebody mad. Therefore, you don't do something that you know you need to do. You must do. It's for the betterment of your mental health. It's for the betterment of your, you know, what you want to do in life and that kind of thing. Number four, the only limitation you have in this world is your mind. You know, I just have I have people come in and work with me all the time with Blue Collar University. I do probably one or two a month with with different companies. And I just have one uh, kind of a brief session with a gentleman. And I'll tell you, and, and I, I'm not going to go too far into it, but he had a a type of disability. He, he had an issue with reading and he always felt he felt that people knew that about him. And it felt that he felt that it was holding him back. And I'm like, man, if you hadn't told me, I would never know. And he's like, well, I can't pass this test and, you know, I can't really read. So I feel like I'm getting behind. So I try to outwork everybody. I'm like, Man, that's fine, but you I believe you're telling yourself a story in your brain of what other people think of you and that um, in your mind you can't do certain things because you have this disability of reading. I don't know if it's dyslexia or what it is. We really, really didn't get too far into it. And I, I'm not sure he's been diagnosed, but absolutely sweet, nice, hardworking person trying to figure it out, but I could tell he had this thing in his brain that told him that he could not do something. And so I played a TikTok of this guy. Um, so I'll just play that TikTok audio so you can hear what this study was. I think it's
1: fascinating. He did an experiment with a group of women yep. and they put scars on their faces. And yep. they told these women that they're going into a job interview. And the purpose of the experiment is to find out whether people with facial disfigurements face discrimination. Uh, they showed them the scars in the mirror. The women saw themselves with these scars. And as they led them out of the room, they said, "We're just going to touch it up a little bit. And as they touched it up, they removed the scarring completely. So the women went into the job interview thinking that they are scarred, but actually being their normal selves. And the result of the experiment is that those women then came back reporting massively increased level of discrimination. Indeed, they, many of them came back with comments that the interviewer had made that they felt were referencing their facial disfigurements. And this is why I think this ideology of victimhood is so dangerous, because if you preach to people constantly that we're all oppressed, then that primes people to look for that.
0: Man, that is so true. You know, a a couple years ago, after the George Floyd thing, I was – on a, uh, I was on an interview with one of my friends, uh, one of my black friends, Tiffany Largie, and you know her and I got into kind of an argument or a discussion about that, about racism, and I and I was saying that, you know, um, it's like me looking for chimneys. I I am just wired to look for chimneys, so I see them everywhere and i think they're such a main part of the house and most people don't even care about them and and i think when we prime people to think that way back to the topic not to get political but you know the only limitation you have in this world is your mind and that is absolutely uh, like we were riding we were riding motorcycles in the alps and you can see People that don't have arms and legs riding these bikes up these mountains, and these people that are just fearless, doing anything, and they just don't let things sit in their, way, in their way. Where perfectly healthy people let anything can let anything sit in their way. So, all right. So number five, the biggest dream killer is your addiction to other people's opinion. So, to me when I look at my own, um, you know, my own journey, my, uh, other people's opinion can be people that you really love, care about. They care about you. And I, I always say, my dad told me not to get in the chimney business. His opinion was, he knows a guy that sweeps chimneys and he's broke. Um, he, and then, you know, I see these opinions of things come up a lot, And I just had to tell my dad, dad, I know I can do this. I don't care what this other guy did or didn't do. That doesn't really affect how I'm going to do it, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to see it. And this is one of my favorite things is that be careful who you listen to, especially like on the internet. I watch some of these chat things and some of these guys say stuff and they act like they're authorities. And, um, What you really need to do is if you're listening to somebody, go one step further and say, do they have the business that I want or the life that they want or the respect of people that I want? And some of these guys giving advice aren't that good at it. But you don't want to argue all the time. I don't want to. They have it. You know, they have these opinions that are theirs and they are their opinions right now some of us have been in business longer we know that those opinions and those thought processes change over time but you know you don't want to discourage people but the best thing you can do on that again is don't let someone else's opinion kill your dream there's some families and some friends and people around you that will absolutely kill your dream you know rich people won't be aren't dream killers of people that's not you know multimillionaires. those people in my life are the ones who cheer me on the most want to see the best they want you to go and try and and do stuff that's that's not the people that hold you down the rich people the super successful people they'll never hold you down they want you to, to go for it for the most part that i found It's it's the other people in your life that aren't that successful and they want to make sure you're not that successful, too. So the next one was, well, actually, there was a saying in here that I thought that was interesting. Um, Winston Churchill, I believe, is who said this. He says, in your 20s, you care too much about what other people's about other people's opinions of yourself. In your 40s, you finally stop you stop caring about what other people think and in your 60s you realize nobody was actually thinking of you in the first place and that is you know i guess that's you know everybody calls us boomers and i'm i'm generation x but you know we are we're hitting those uh, that area and and we don't care we're surprised how much younger generations care about feelings and care about you know, this sensitivity thing that we, especially now as we're older, I think when I was younger, I was probably more sensitive. So it's not just a generational thing. It's just an age thing. But man, you realize that that, you know, nobody's thinking about you anyway. Nobody cares that much about you like you think they might. And so I like that Winston Churchill quote. Um, so this was the one I was kind of getting to at the number six. And it's not about how much you make. It's about creating. Um, it's about creating other sources of income for yourself. So it is about saving, but it's about, you know, a couple things. I think it's a fallacy to think that, okay, I'm going to work 40 plus years I'm going to put money in a 401k and try to save some money and then retire and I'm going to live off of that. That is only from the studies I saw, that's only 5% of the American workforce that actually happens. All those things actually come together and you live off your savings. Most of the people that are older and thriving have other sources of income that money is coming in. And this is what we you're, if you just try to save your way into it, you're trying to not outlive your money. Where if you will make source other sources of income come in, then you aren't worried about outliving your money. You have income coming in. So, you know, the easiest main way to do that is through real estate and rental income and other types of income, multifamily housing. You know, that's probably one of the most that's the I think 90 percent of wealthy people have revenue coming in from passive revenue coming in from real estate. I know that real estate is even harder to get into. But if you're with a group of people that you may be in the same boat, maybe you could form something together and pool your money. And get off the ground and get a piece of property that starts to work because you know I'm not i res- I'm not a real estate expert, but the dollars work multiple ways. You know, when you put money in, you not only get equity in something that should be growing in value, but then you also get income coming back from it into your account. And you know, I can tell you, we we try to buy. You know, in the last several years, we we're trying to buy a property a year, basically. And, um, that's how we, you know, one of the ways to build wealth, we have Airbnbs and so, some are either long-term rentals or Airbnbs, um, and I'm getting ready to build another building for Ashbusters, And so part of our long-term strategy is doing that. I remember hearing a guy, a military guy, it was a, his strategy to, to retire was to, he would jump, you know, he would be located in different parts of the world, but he'd buy, he'd try to buy a house a year. And for 30 years was his plan, one house a year and then flip it, you know, take the money and flip and and leverage the equity into more and more houses. And then so I think he was going to retire at 40 and then his plan was to sell a house a year until he, you know, he had 30 years of house selling to do. And I thought that was a really interesting way to have a plan using real estate to get in and then back out of it, kind of funding your own retirement. I thought that was an interesting idea. So anyway, on number six, it's not how much you make. It's about creating, um, uh, other sources of income. There's uh, also the wealthy barber. Was an old book I read a long time ago about saving and then creating income. And clearly, one of the main books to read on this topic is Robert Kiyosaki's Think and Grow Rich. Oh no, not Think and Grow. Rich. I'm sorry, Rich Dad Poor Dad. That's Napoleon Hill. Think and Grow Rich. um I do want to have an episode on books. Books to read. I think I'm going to have one of those coming up, but. Um, Anyway, uh, that's that's the best advice. Of these seven things, that's my favorite one of don't try to save your way into retirement because you would need, I mean, I I think some of the latest numbers you'd need is about $4 million. Most people, when they come out, they have a couple hundred thousand dollars in their 401k, not nearly enough to do anything with. So why not set it up while you can to have a really good, you know, last section of life, you know, the last third, so that you have health, you have money, and you have, you know, options. The last uncomfortable truth was this one. The most dangerous addiction in the world is comfort. And I've said this a long time that that being comfortable is the killer in most business guys. Even when they get to some level of success, they take the foot off the gas. They they, they really check out of their business. And that's a dangerous thing for me, too. I have to very be very cognizant to not do that because I've seen that. I'm not saying it, it's 100% failure, but a lot of guys, it starts to roll backwards on them. But in this case, you know this uh, author made a point. He said, people that are living your dream life aren't smarter than you. They're simply better at overcoming their fear of taking the first step. They will absolutely go ahead and take that step to start something, to do something new, to go and to explore and I hear people all the time say, hey, I don't have the money to start a new business. And I I just this morning, I was making my coffee, getting ready to do this podcast. I was just thinking about my daughter starting. She's in an interior design, um, interior designer. She knew nothing about interior design. She did not um, go to school for it. She had no money. She had no nothing about it other than the willingness to say, yeah, I'll do that for you. I'll learn it. And man, she's had to learn some hard lessons, but I think this week she signed Hundreds of thousands of dollars in contracts for um, multiple commercial units. Like she's been doing hotels. She's been doing restaurants, going in and redoing it. She's consulting on things, getting paid to just give people ideas. I'm telling you, she started it with zero dollars and nothing but the willingness to try. Go out there and network tell people you can do it, jump in and take any project, take a bunch of pictures of it, show people what you're doing, be criticized, be hammered, not hammered drunk, but, you know, hammered by life, hammered by mistakes, build a system, keep fixing the system. She did it with zero dollars. And she's, I mean, she is really gaining momentum. And in the chimney business that I started, it was very little money. It was just the willingness to do it and go for it and try it and and risk just a little bit of, mostly you're risking time uh, and you're going to, but that's the best way to start a business. You know, uh, Damon John's book, The Power of Broke is a great book to read if you're wanting to start something and you have no money. He talks about the advantage of that. Uh, you know he's a guy who started fubu and he just started he got a t-shirt you know printer and started selling t-shirts at events and and doing that and i looked on amazon because i think i'm going to start printing our own t-shirts for my businesses i think i'm going to just start printing them at our place because it's such a pain to order shirts and all this and you can get a a pretty nice setup for under $500 from Amazon. And I think we're going to try just doing our own stuff, but that could be its own business. You know, I bought a, um, a laser cutter thing one time called the glow forge. And it was for my chimney business or for my chocolate business, but we didn't really use it much. But my sister-in-law uses it. a pretty nice laser cutter. You could make a business out of that. Now that's a $6,000 machine, but I'm telling you, well, the business I bought for powder coating, the guy started it in his in his kitchen. He had this little bitty booth, like literally like, you know, three by three booth to spray something. He bought a gun for a couple hundred bucks on Amazon. He started powder coating Yeti cups. And uh, then he baked them in his home oven until he had so many of those. He decided to buy a bigger oven and a bigger spray booth and put it in his barn. And then that grew and grew. And then he decided to buy a building with his family and, And buy big machines and big ovens. And and then he did that for several years and then he sold it to me and I took it from there and I'm building it bigger. And he started from nothing at all. I'm telling you, if you think money is your reason not to start something, that's just any any excuse will do you can start with very little on something that you, and it's not like Evan had a passion for, you know, design. She just liked the looks of things and she, she likes to shop. And so in this case, you know, people gave her money to go shopping and she liked that. And so they just shop for her and then she got to shop for somebody else. So it's kind of funny, but, but those are my seven uncomfortable truths. One, comparing your life to someone else's fastest way to become depressed. Two, You can't make everyone happy. Three, be okay with people not liking you. Most people don't like themselves. Most people don't even like themselves. Four, the only limitation you have in this world is your mind. Five, the biggest dream killer is your addiction to other people's opinion. Um, Number six was it's not how much you make. It's about creating other sources of revenue and income for when you're not working. And number seven, the most dangerous addiction in the world is comfort. And if you get comfortable, you're pretty much done. And uh, stay a little bit uncomfortable. Keep a little pressure on yourself. As uh, the same, as Wes Bernie, who's the manager of my powder coat operation, his dad always used to say that, in fact, he, he made that quote into a sign that hangs right above his uh, my manager's desk. And it's from his dad. It says, remember, son, keep a little pressure on yourself. And uh, I, I like that. I like that tone. So, all right, guys, uh, it's good to be back. I'm going to be out of town next week and I will get a podcast made as soon as I can. Hope you're doing well. Talk to you soon.
1: Thanks for listening to the Blue Collar Gold Podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or any place that you listen to podcasts. More information is also available at
0: markstoner.com.